This is where the big social, political and religious dilemmas of our day are debated. The Interrogator from the Fifth Column A 400-page report from the Commission on Assisted Dying has concluded that MPs should consider changing the law to allow some terminally ill people to end their lives at home with the help of their doctor. The report, commissioned by Dignity in Dying, did also recommend some strict eligibility criteria, such as that the person wanting to die had less than a year to live, that it was a voluntary decision, that two independent doctors agreed, and that he or she was not under the influence of mental illness. It's a very controversial and hugely provocative subject. We have with us to answer questions and then to get involved in the debate Raymond Tallis and Brendan O'Neill. Neither are here to argue from the predictable religious stance, sanctity of life, suffering is good for you, God chooses when you die and so on. They take opposite views but from the same humanist basis. Raymond Tallis is patron of Dignity in Dying, but first we come to Brendan O'Neill, editor of Spiked Online, which, among other things, professes to wage cultural war against illiberalism and irrationalism. Brendan. Hi. Hello. Now, you've written that it's assumed that if you're a humanist and have liberal instincts, you'll be in favour of assisted dying. Well, you are, you have, and you're not. I suggest there's no simpler way than to start by hearing your case, a potted version, hopefully, of why you don't think assisted dying should become law. I think humanists should stand up against the legalisation of euthanasia, which I think is we should give it its real name, rather than dressing it up as assisted suicide and all this other kind of modern terminology. And the reason I think humanists should take a stand against it is because it would be bad for people who want to die and it would also be bad for people who want to live. It would be bad for people who want to die because it would formalise their end-of-life decisions. It would actually make them more difficult than they currently are. There's even discussion about creating euthanasia tribunals at which people would have to make their case for their right to die, which would be an agonising thing for someone who is ill to have to do. And it would be bad for people who want to live, disabled people, old people, terminally ill people who want to carry on living, because I think that in sanctioning euthanasia, society says, well, suicide is a solution to life's troubles. And when you give a green light to suicide in that way, you really devalue life itself and you put a kind of implicit pressure on sick and disabled people And you create the sense that they are some kind of burden. So that's why I think we should oppose it. It's bad for people who want to die for very understandable reasons who want to die. And it's bad for people who want to carry on living. I suppose what I want to understand is how can helping people achieve the right to die be bad for the people it's intended to help, which is the term Leo? Because it replaces love with law. That's effectively what it does. Previously, throughout history, for many, many centuries, people people have helped their loved ones to die. Everyone knows that. And I think it's best to keep that extremely informal for a number of reasons. Firstly, because it's an extraordinarily personal and difficult decision, which therefore is best taken amongst friends and family and people you trust, rather than being outsourced to the state. And also, I think it's the last opportunity for someone in their life, literally the last opportunity for them to exercise autonomy and real choice. Now, if you take it out of that informal realm and you create all these laws and all these stipulations about who has the right to die, who doesn't, what criteria they must satisfy. You know, the director of public prosecutions drew up a list of all these reasons you could die legitimately. 
you're just going to formalize what is already a fairly difficult thing. And you're going to make people jump through hoops at a time when they don't want to. But surely a lot of people who are in this situation are having to formalize it or need the formalization because by the time they get to the situation where they do want their lives to end, they're not having that liberty or that freedom themselves to be able to say they want their lives to end. So they need to set up a formal procedure in advance of that time. I think actually the numbers of people who are completely incapable of signalling that they want to die or completely incapable of making themselves die is actually fairly small. Uh, So do you accept for those people that this could be a good route? No, I don't. I think even for those people, I would rather trust their families and the doctor who knows them to take a course of action as and when that moment arises, as and when you get the impression, you know, they've got days left, it's just not worth it, let's switch off the machine. Because I think one of the real problems with the pro-euthanasia lobby is that it actually gives this impression that families can't be trusted. You know, they're just going to bump off granny because they want the inheritance. Doctors can't be trusted in our post-Harold Shipman era, just going to kill off all the old people to get rid of them. There's this real sense of you can't trust the actors in this realm, and therefore you need to bring in the director of public prosecutions as if you could trust him. Or you need to bring in state uh, euthanasia tribunals made up of these faceless bureaucrats. Why should someone who is suffering have to make a case to a faceless bureaucrat I'm going to quote you from something I read. You say, it seems pretty irrefutable that the campaign to legalise assisted suicide has become bound up with society's broader inability to value and celebrate human life today. But I put to you, surely it's because people value and celebrate human life that they have every right to fear the unpleasantness of old age, becoming a burden, losing the dignity, and they really feel they deserve and want the right to say no more. Yes, I agree with that uh, to a certain extent. You know, I always go by the motto, nothing human is alien to me. And sometimes the desire to die is a very human thing. People have had enough, they've reached the end of their tether, they're physically suffering. However, as I was saying earlier, I really think that needs to be kept in the informal realm rather than being propped up with all these rules and regulations and stipulations. If you are suffering, why should you be forced to go on living? No, you you shouldn't be forced to go on living. And I think, you know, suicide has been decriminalised. No one gets done for suicide these days. But it must remain an entirely personal decision and society must not be seen to sanction it. That's what I'm saying. you're You're not against assisted dying, but as long as it's not legal. (laughs) that sounds like I'm completely mad. But yes, in a roundabout (laughs) fashion, I am not against the idea of loved ones helping another loved one to die in certain circumstances. What I'm against is the idea that we should bring this into the legal realm, create all these bizarre rules to judge who can do it and who can't, and contribute to the idea that it's a good thing for people to opt out of life. But what about the fear of being arrested? What about the fear of the legal side? If you don't have some kind of formality in place, aren't we surely going to get people who are made examples of, who do this, you know, here you go, Grandma, and who's an extra few shots of morphine, and we stop turning a blind eye to it? Aren't you going to be concerned about that becoming more the norm if we don't go down the route of formalising it? Well, what about the fear of old people who want to live but who don't feel valued by society or disabled people who have said quite publicly that they now feel like a burden on society because there are constant discussions about the right of disabled people to end their lives. I think we need to take into consideration the views of the majority in this discussion, which are that it is worth carrying on living. However hard it is, however difficult, it is worth carrying on living. And I think we should give sanction to that. 
Okay, thank you. Now we come to Roman Tallis, physician, philosopher and poet and patron of dignity in dying. He was until a few years ago professor of geriatric medicine at the University of Manchester and specialised in the care of elderly patients. Raymond. Now it's true to say that you've changed your mind about this, albeit some time ago, and once you took Brendan's view, do you want to now, here's your opportunity, lay out your case for why you changed your mind and what you believe now to do with assisted dying? Yes, I changed my mind because I thought a bit harder about the principles and I also looked into the facts. And some of the factoids and wrong ideas that we've heard from Brendan were ones I was enthralled to once. I was also confused, as Brendan was, about quite a few things. First of all, let's look at the positive case. It seems to me that the respect for individual autonomy, the right to have your choices supported by others, to determine your own best interest when you're of sound mind, must be a sovereign principle. Secondly, to uh, respect somebody when they decide that they wish to have assistance in dying isn't to collude in their devaluation of their life or the devaluation of anybody else's life. It is actually to accept the valuation they have made on the last few hours, days or weeks of their life when they are dying and when their only prospect they have is continuing unbearable suffering. Brenda talks about the law and love. And I would tell you at the moment, the law is brutally cruel. And there's nothing about love in the law at the moment. The DPP's current guidelines are so complex because they're trying to decide whether or not those who assisted people to die were motivated by compassion or by some rather inferior emotion. And the awful thing about the DPP's guidelines is that they specifically prohibit healthcare workers from giving advice about assistance to die. So assistance to die is entirely about enthusiastic amateurs helping their friends or relatives and so on. That is not an acceptable situation. The situation that Brendan rejoices in is one of fudge, of clinical, ethical and legal fudge. And it's potentially very dangerous. It's not at all about love against the law. It's about a very bad law at the moment. Make it impossible for us to support loved ones in one of the most profound and important decisions of their life. This idea of making this formal, very bureaucratic system, is that not going to be more painful for patients and family members, almost having to go to court to die? The law already surrounds this issue. So the moment if you bypass the formal bureaucratic system, you're in great danger of prosecution. The current situation with the DPP is extremely complex. There are 16 tests for whether or not the person who assisted the individual to die was motivated by compassion or by something else. And I think we need a law that's much simpler where everybody knows where they stand. Do you feel comfortable with NHS doctors ending people's lives? And is that really what the NHS is for? Well, it isn't just what the NHS is for. It's part of care of patients. Doctors do end patients' lives. If a patient uh, is on a ventilator, if you switch off the ventilator, they will die. So there is nothing new about ending a patient's life or about recognising that medical care has nothing more to offer. It will be a very small part of the care that one gives to the patients one sees. But shouldn't we be expending funds and human ingenuity on improving care and services for our ageing population, because isn't assisted dying just a cop-out from those responsibilities? As far as I'm concerned, uh, we could, of course, invest 
money in better palliative care, in better care for older people. And one of the interesting things is a recent study in Europe, the European Association of Palliative Care Doctors, showed that where legislation had permitted assisted dying, this was associated with great improvements in palliative care and greater investment in palliative care. So, of course, we should aim to provide the best possible care for people, but we should also recognise that there is a small minority of people in whom even the best possible care doesn't address their problems. How are you going to stop people terminally ill and old not just opting for this route as the easy way out, this sort of unhealthy culture of death that we might inoculate if we begin this type of change to the law? I mean, How are you going to stop that? How is it not going to become a slippery slope? This is, in a sense, an empirical question. Does it arise? And we can look at, say, Oregon, 10 years on or more from the Death and Dignity Act. There has been no evidence that there's been a pressure on people to seek assisted dying who do not want it. In fact, the numbers of people who seek assisted dying are relatively small. Now, for some people, this actually is part of a case against changing the law. I think Brendan indicated it, only a small number of people would require assisted dying. But actually, a small number of people going through unbearable hell is important, first of all. And secondly, the knowledge that assisted dying is available can give many more people comfort. Thank you. Now, perhaps you've heard something you would like to take up with the other and argue about, some question you'd like to raise. So now's your chance. Brendan, I thought I'd give you the mic first. Well, I think just one thing that Ray said, which I thought was very interesting, is that he said at the moment the law is a bit of a fudge. And I agree with him. But I think sometimes a fudge is better than clarity, particularly if that clarity will mean drawing up a kind of list of guidelines as to who it's acceptable to kill and who it isn't acceptable to kill. And so I was wondering if Ray doesn't recognise that there are some areas of life which are so specific to individuals, so private, so distressing, and can change massively from one person to the next with the exact same illness. Are there not some areas of life which are so like that that it's more acceptable for there to be a fudge in the law? It seems to me the notion that a fudge is more desirable than clear guidelines is extremely dangerous. If we look at the situation at the moment, quite a lot of people actually are assisted to die without their explicit request. There's about a 1,000 a year in the UK. Another 1,000 a year are assisted to die with some explicit request. So there's at least 2,000 people a year who die with assistance from physicians or the healthcare team without any kind of legal regulation, and I think that's potentially dangerous. And let's be clear about a distinction that I think Brendan tried to confuse, which was the difference between assisted dying, assisted suicide, and euthanasia. Assisted dying is helping someone to die who has a terminal illness, who is heading towards death and is very close to death in the vast number of cases. Assisted suicide might apply to somebody who, like David James, had a tetraplegia and whose life was, he found, unbearable, but at the same time, he could have lived indefinitely. And I personally am against assisted suicide. That is, assisting someone to die who does not have a terminal illness. And that's a very, very important distinction. So under that circumstance, I would see that as killing, which is quite separate from assisting someone to die who is dying anyway. Well, I think the terminology thing is very interesting because actually if you look at the history of lots of these groups like Dignity and Dying and various other groups, they are formerly euthanasia societies. They are voluntary euthanasia societies. They come from the euthanasia movement. Also, I had to do this feature article once about suicide websites, these horrible 
websites that give people advice on how to kill themselves for people who are just depressed, often very young, don't know what to do with their lives. And what was interesting for me is that lots of the information on these horrendous websites came from books written by people who are active with dignity and dying or who had previously been active with the Voluntary Euthanasia Society. And that's a desperate and bankrupt argument. It is utterly separate that the, the, the kind of websites you're talking about, my view, which is the view that's put forward by the Fortner Commission, very well thought through, 400 pages, is about something totally different from those kind of things that I find just as objectionable as you do. And as it were, to tar assisted dying with association with a whole pile of things, like encouraging people who are depressed to die, I, I think it shows how desperate you are, your argument. It's almost like saying that people who support assisted dying are really the kind of people who want to stand up old people and shoot them, you know, in large numbers because they're a burden. That is virtually libelous. But they share something in common, which is the culture I was talking about earlier, a social culture that finds it difficult to value human life and say that it's a good thing. And That's you not see true that, mean. I, 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 you I, see I, that I, all the time. I've and, heard that argument before and I'm not a miserableist and I've actually written an awful lot about how we should celebrate the fact we live longer that the period of illness before death is shrinking and so on and so forth. All of my work has been in that field and most of the people I know in this field celebrate life as a doctor once celebrates life or wants to prolong life. That's all. Thank you Raymond Tallis and Brendan O'Neill. Now it's your turn, the listener. You must have a lot to say about this controversial subject. Over to you. If you want to do as Emma suggests... Join the debate by commenting on this podcast via our website, www.thefifthcolumn.co.uk.